When we tell a significant story to someone, something that really had an impact on our life or that we feel really passionate about, we usually have no doubt that we are actually describing the events exactly as they happened. We try to include every detail, all the information, to give our audience the real story, what it really was, the actions, reactions, how we felt, what we thought, what we did. And then a final point that usually emphasizes the fact that we were right and the other person was wrong. I'm not saying that we embellish reality or that we lie to make us look good, although that happens to all of us, me first. But we tend to forget that we are only telling one side of the story, our side of the story. Let's take a quick example. If I tell you about the terrible experience I had with my first girlfriend when I was 17, I will say, for example, that she was very cold, that she couldn't show any sort of emotions, that she seemed like she didn't care about me. And I would probably end this story with that killer of a final point. She then joined the army, so that says it all about her. There is something in me that kind of enjoys that version of the story, because I present myself as poor little Julien with that evil girlfriend, you know, tough as nails, not showing any love. Yet I stayed with her for more than a year, which is significant when you're 17. And if I dig even deeper, I could basically tell you what her side of the story would be. Oh, Julien, yes, he was constantly calling me, he wanted to see me every day, he was selfish and focused on his feelings rather than mine. Eventually, we broke up because I felt smothered. So you see, this is all about perspective. Even if I was trying to be a good boyfriend, I probably wasn't. And even if she probably loved me even just a little bit, well, I couldn't really feel it and I felt frustrated. I guess I want to make that point very clear. It's all about perspective. Our perception of reality varies depending on our background, education, emotional state. There's a million factors, a million of mini filters that slightly taint how we experienced reality and then turn it into our reality. The stories you hear in that podcast, they're always one side of the story. And I don't say that because I doubt the honesty of the people I interview. I'm convinced they speak the truth, their truth, which is perfect because this is what we are interested in, right? Their experience, their feelings, not the over-sanitized, perfectly pondered reality of things that doesn't even exist anyway. For this second episode, we meet Kirsty. Once again, not gonna lie, she's a very good friend of mine. You have no idea how difficult it is to find people brave enough to tell those stories. Kirsty is a real socialite, she's got great charisma, and she's the kind of friends who's always up for doing something fun. I like these types of friends, they get me out of my comfort zone. Kirsty's been searching for that comfort zone in a relationship, and she thought she'd found it in 2006 when she met Tommy. I met Tommy when I was 23, so I can imagine as a different person because of a different time in life. But, but I'd say beforehand, I felt kind of happy-go-lucky, like there was a lot of stuff going on in my life still, but I felt like I was managed, able to deal with it. Kind of something that you, I became... I was quite resilient. I've always been quite independent, like going to boarding school and all these kind of things. So I was kind of quite self-sufficient and quite upbeat and always quite ambitious. 
you know, there was no kind of loneliness emotion at all. I was really in the place where I knew that I didn't want a relationship and I kind of liked being by myself, didn't have any dependencies. And I don't know whether it was just emotionally avoiding things, but I felt kind of quite content. Tommy's incredibly charismatic and he's like um, very charming, very easy to get on with. He's quite fun at first meeting. You know, seems quite laid back. He was always very good company. I always really enjoyed hanging out with him and I definitely hadn't met anybody that excited me the way that he did and he was incredibly ambitious and incredibly intelligent. So it was like something that I felt really excited about and kind of like aspirational sounds like the wrong word, but it felt like there could be something really amazing here rather than kind of like, okay, We'll see, type thing. I had this weird moment. I was at Henley with, on a work thing, and I had another colleague with me who's a good friend of mine, and Tommy was also there. And I remember talking to him at the bar <clears throat> with a couple of his friends and just had this like weird moment where I was like, I don't know where it came from. It came from nowhere, and I was like, I'm going to marry him. And I had like this premonition almost of like seeing the whole wedding situation. It was so bizarre. And completely freaked me out, like nothing had ever happened by this point. We'd been on a couple of work meetings. So it was like I just saw this whole aisle and him standing at the end of it and turning around and looking at me. It was It's quite bizarre. Like I can still picture that vision now. It's incredibly vivid. It's hard because I think psychologically you're like, oh, was that a vision for a reason? Is it really a thing or am I imagining it? But I mean, I've never had anything like that before or since, so... This just bowled me away, whereas before I could have been a bit like, I really like somebody, but not 100% giving myself into the relationship. And, yeah, it's hard to say. It just felt really normal, like a really good thing that could happen. He was always, even before we kind of started to hook up, he's, um, if he knows what he wants, he goes after it. And he'd call me every day, you know, always find a reason to call me, so he was always in touch, and we'd be emailing the whole time, and... I kind of knew that he was interested, but at the same time, you just don't know somebody, so you're like, hmm, I think so. But, but yeah, now I've seen him do that since in, in life, so it's definitely like a character trait of, I, I want this, I'm going after it. I went and met his parents, I think, after a month. And then oh, we got together in, like, the August. So we'd met in the May, we got together in the August, and I remember being out in December with all our friends and he was talking about moving in together. And I was like, whoa, 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 maybe let's give it a year first. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was very, like, not intense, not intense in a kind of, like, lock ourselves up in the world, but, like, I find myself being quite a curious person and l loving to learn new things and meet new people. And Tommy was like that. It was like a fountain of knowledge and knew everything and read things and be interested and then you'd have conversations and then he'd take it one step further and then look into it more and, and then he'd, you know book tickets for an amazing play that come to town or go like a really cool underground gig and and then we went on to, um, a trip to Costa Rica together within a couple months and it was like he was completely had all the same interests as I did but was very like energetic and like electric about everything it was kind of really refreshing as a lot of other guys I'd been with could be a bit lazy or like I'd be the one being like, should we go to this? Should we go to that? It was so nice to have somebody who kind of had those sim same interests and drive. And I think that passion for life is really enticing and attractive. And like, I think whenever I spoke to my friends about him, that no one had ever seen me so excited or like 
about all this. And I remember saying to my mum, she was like, sounds like this is it. I was like, yeah, I think it is. It felt right. From his side, he was very spontaneous and did things, lots of things to woo you. And it was like really like, it felt exciting, but on that level, but it was also incredibly comfortable. Um, you know, whether it was just like a duvet day or, you know, going out to the countryside and going for a walk to a pub or whatever it was that you were doing, it just felt, you know, a good six months of being incredibly content. I think it's when we moved in together that it became, that's probably when things became a lot harder. It's just small things that start to happen when people don't get their way or things I probably didn't realise previously in terms of what he feels his role is and what he feels my role is. And also, like, you know, I screwed up. Start as you mean to go on. And, you know, when you're in love with somebody and you try and give them everything, then if that person's quite a taker, then you end up... I ended up just being like the what felt like the cooking and the cleaning, and that just is not my <clears throat> not my bag. But I can't think of any particular fight or anything like that over those first times. But I just remember starting to be a bit like, okay, I'm not so sure. You know, I guess it was also when someone becomes less engaged with you as well because the honeymoon period's over. Um, I remember what I really I remember saying this to friends when I just started going out with him. So I, I remember in previous relationships I could be quite difficult because people would let me be difficult. But because I felt like Tommy was already difficult, he made me a better person, so I didn't hate myself as much for acting like a dick. But I had to deal with him acting like a dick, so I would never push my luck with him. I was kind of like, on the best behaviour I've probably been in up to that point. <laughs> Probably that first year, it wasn't really that bad. It's not like I had any, weren't any massive alarm bells. It was kind of alarm bells just after we moved out, where we moved into his place, which he owned outright, so there's no mortgage or anything on it. And we went in to do up the bathroom, to, and to do it up to make it nicer to rent out. And then he was like, okay, we need to talk about what rent you're gonna pay. I was like, you want me to pay you money to stay in your place and do up your bathroom and make it nicer? Things like that. That's when the money problem started. We thought a lot about money, but that was... I just couldn't really get my head around why you try and make money off the person that you're supposed to love. And he lived a particular life. He wanted to go to particular restaurants and he wanted to get taxis everywhere and go on nice holidays. And I was like, I can't afford this life. This was not my life before I met you. If you want to live it, you're going to have to help subsidise it because... Those first few months we started going out, I just sold my car and I basically spanked all the money from on the car, being able to keep up with this lifestyle, which is kind of what you do in those... Well, it's what I did in those early days. I probably wouldn't do it now, but I was 23 and pretty impressionable and kind of on however much money trying to, like, just keep up. But, yeah, so then money just became, like, that, our biggest, biggest issue. But things like that, I couldn't do anything about it. And then it's just... It's a bit gross. It's like that becomes the fundamental of your relationship rather than... But, you know, the love side of it. It's really funny, like I was saying to somebody the other day, it's like something in your system doesn't remember things on purpose, so you don't have to compute them anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like I was speaking to somebody just in general about Tommy the other day. I was like, I 
know that I was unhappy and I know that I was really miserable and I know that he made me feel like crap. But I really can't remember why. Like, I'm not going to go back there. I know, I know it was bad enough for that, but I'm just like, what was it that he used to do? But everybody else can remember a lot more than I can, which is quite interesting because it's like, okay, I need to eradicate a lot of these memories. Um, I got to the point where I was just... I kind of, in my gut by this point, knew that it wasn't right, to, to be quite honest, I think. I think there was so much anxiety around... I just felt I was always in trouble. It was always... And, you know, we'd go out in public and someone would ask me a question. If I didn't answer it the way that he wanted to, I'd get shouted at later and be like, why did you say that? There was so much bullshit around everything that had to be, you know... Everything had to be perfect. We had to look perfect from the outside. And if we couldn't go to something, couldn't be like, sorry, I can't make it because of that. He'd make up some other excuse. It was quite a lot of pressure. There was, always, there was always something. I always felt like I'd done something wrong. And it really kind of, you know, like, obviously I'm not, I'm sitting here and I'm saying my side of the story. I appreciate I'm not perfect. And I'm sure that I was a pain in the ass in many, many ways. But I was talking to my mum last night about, she's like, you need to, let some things slide. And I was like, I did that with Tommy for years. Like, I remember Water for Duck's Back was like my quotes that I would put alongside the relationship. Because I'm like, I can't get emotionally reactive to everything because I will be a mess. So, yeah, just Water for Duck's Back. And it's like, okay, I've done this wrong, I've done this wrong. And that's kind of what it felt. We went away for New Year to the Cotswolds and it was just flat. It just was like, felt like we had nothing to talk about. Felt like there was no love there anymore. And then we actually ended up breaking up, driving back to London, broken up. It was a, a really pleasant experience. We ended it in a pub in the Cotswolds and then got in a car and drove back to London. But he brought it up and he was like, this isn't really working, is it? And I was like, no. I was so relieved, like a sense of relief of like, oh, um, so I reckon it was pretty civil, really. There was no kind of fighting or screaming. And then we met up for coffee once, and I was like, 100% the right decision. <clears throat> then he messaged me. Remember, I was in Amsterdam with work. And I got a message being like, I really miss you. And then we went out for some drinks and then ended up getting back together like five months later. It always depends when you get these messages where you are psychologically at that moment in time and it feels like everybody only ever gets those messages when it's like there's some sort of like universal system where they're like, that person's really down, get in touch with them. I was, I was living with my dad as well, so living in the Docklands with my dad, I wasn't exactly like... I should, that was the biggest mistake I think I made. I should have just been like, right, I'm going to move straight in with a friend, like go stay with my dad for a couple of weeks and then find somewhere to live. Probably shouldn't have gone back. To him, and then I think, actually, the second the second part of the relationship was probably arguably worse than the first part in many ways. Like everything escalated. Well, we'd spoken about getting married and beforehand. I remember speaking when we were living in Shoreditch in that place. I remember saying to him, 
oh, we're talking about getting married. And we'd always talked about getting married on New Year's Eve, which, of course, we did. And I was like, oh, there's, there's, it was like something like in, so it was like two or three years' time or something that was on a Saturday, which is actually the date we ended up getting married. And he was like, that's too far away. Two, three years' time. And he, like, I remember him going mental. He's like, that's too far away. Two to three, like, three years' time. No. I'm like, wow, okay, so we're going to do this on your terms, clearly. Um, so we, and then, and then I was never really interested in talking about getting married again. When we got back together, I was kind of a bit more open to it. And I could see how excited that made him as well. And like, I still question to this day whether he married me because it's what he wanted to do or it's because what he felt was right. He'd tell other people how proud he was of me and all these kind of things. And I feel like I was the right person for him to be seen, by the end of it, the right person for him to be seen to be with rather than, I mean, he didn't like me. He can't have liked me. He had a go at me about every single part of my personality. But then to everybody else, he'd be like, I'm so proud, she's so this, da-da-da-da. So I kind of felt like I became his trophy, you know. But then behind closed doors, it was like, you're not doing this enough, you're not doing that enough, you're not... It was just, that's when I also kind of started to realise, okay, I think I am ticking his boxes around life rather than him wanting to be with me. But I didn't do anything about it, so... (laughs) I was on my way back from Mozambique with my friends and he was supposed to be going to Australia for two weeks with a work thing. And I remember being like, OK, good, I've got some headspace. I just need to figure out like what I'm going to do. I want to go travelling, blah, blah, blah. So I was walking up the stairs and I get to the front door and there's a note on the front door saying, hey, hope you had a good flight. Don't worry, but there's a note for you on the dining table. Make sure you read it. So I went in, there's a note on the dining room table being like, I really missed you. I made a video for you. And I was like, oh, my God, the boss is going to propose while he's in fucking Australia. This is weird. So I watched this whole video, and it was really sweet. His brother filmed him, like, went to all the different places we've lived together, places we went on our first date, places that meant a lot to us, and kind of put this whole thing together. Then it finished, and I was like, "Okay, he didn't propose. Like, that would have been weird. Then there was a knock on the door, and he was actually not in Australia. So, and I mean, I don't think I could have been more surprised if, like... A herd of pigs, like, swamped into my house. Like, I, you know, hadn't slept for two nights. I was, like, so bowled away by everything. And then I just, well, drank champagne for, like, two days solid. Then I went to Ibiza with work and just, like, escapism of just getting drunk and being, like, I can't I can't deal with this. I and mean, I was, like, actually, like, feeling in my stomach. It's coming back of how I felt then. It was just, like, complete anxiety. But, yeah, there's definitely warning signs in my gut that I should have probably listened to. I mean, I loved him. It was so hard. I didn't want to not be with him. So it, was, I, it, it just wasn't right for me at that time to, to be able to think about not doing it because I wanted to be with him still, for right or wrong reasons. I completely had my head in the sand, avoiding all problems. Because I, and I'd lost, I'd lost a massive sense of who I was and what I was trying to do. And it was, as soon as you kind of lose your voice, you lose pretty much everything. You keep complete completely subservient it's almost like you're unconscious just strolling through life just trying to avoid confrontation and arguments and trying to seek the kind of moments of happiness which sadly at that point didn't come from him it came from my friends I didn't realize I'd lost that that much myself my parents have said to me they're like I did not like you when you were with him you know I think I probably had become a lot more materialistic and all the things that were really important to him and lost kind of Maybe the more spiritual side that of me. 
When we got married, I was fully aware of what I was doing and terrified by it because I knew it was the wrong thing. My mum said to me like a couple of weeks before, she was like, you know, you don't need to do this. It resonated with me, which is weird. And I was like, I know, but we're too far down the line now. That was my answer rather than I want to. But that month before you were in autopilot, like it's happening. What are you going to do? Like call it all off? That felt terrifying. I thought of it as it's there, but I never humoured it, really. Never really entertained it. It's like, okay, this is happening, let's just go. But even on the wedding day, like, I can go to other weddings and you watch people get married and you see, like, uh, like, so much love and, like, looking at them together and how happy they are. I felt like Tommy and I didn't have that. But, like, for Tommy, it was the showmanship of, look how amazing the wedding is. You know, it was always like, let's do this, imagine what people think when they see this. And I'm like, you know, obviously a wedding is for other people as much as it is for yourself, because you want other people to have a great time. That's the whole, you know, it's part of it. But yeah, I didn't feel like there was much me and him on the day. Just sad. But I was also terrified about what else I could do. You know, at that point in time, I was working for him. I was living with him. I mean, it's the same place that I was when we ended up getting divorced. I was like, I, you know, I feel like I've got to a point where my whole life is invested in this one human being and I feel so vulnerable. And like I started seeing a therapist and I was like, I just feel like everything's a big black abyss around me. I feel like without him, I don't have anything. And then that makes me resent him on top of the fact that I don't feel like I'm ever doing the right thing. It's kind of like a bit of a horrible place to be and that is when I was in total autopilot like there was nothing behind the eyes type there's no there wasn't really much joy or happiness or I wasn't excited about being with him I tried to avoid it at all costs and just was like I didn't know where I was I was just sailing into nothing but at the same time sailing into nothing was better than the big black abyss of more nothing that I had around me so it kind of ended up just on the boat Sailing towards nowhere, and if I hadn't gone to see a therapist, I mean, I could still be on that boat right now. Like, jumping off it is the most terrifying thing in the world. Straight after the wedding was amazing. We did have this kind of, like, burst of togetherness. I felt we were properly a team. It was incredibly nice for a few months and then everything kind of went back. That whole between marriage and divorce was not a bed of roses. And then you, you know, you're married, so you know, you, it's not as easy as just leaving a relationship. It's, it was just layering up more and more and more in terms of feeling controlled, repressed, feeling completely on autopilot. I think that's just got too much and I was like, I can't do this. And then we started talking about having a family, really. That was, we got a dog. And um, he wouldn't really ever walk it, wouldn't ever really help me with it. And I just knew that I didn't want to have a family with him. I just knew that I'd end up being a single mum. If we stayed in the relationship, I'd feel like a single mum. And if we weren't in the relationship, I'd obviously be a single mum. And I was just like, that's not how I want my life to go. And there was more and more pressure to start trying. And I was like, I just, no, I can't have kids with you. I was terrified and my whole entire life I've always known I want to have kids and then I went through these couple of years of I don't know if I want to have children I was feeling super alone already and I felt really isolated in my relationship and then if you had kids into it you know he wouldn't get up in the middle of the night to help me he wouldn't sacrifice his 
weekends with the boys or nights out. And he even said to me, he's like, you know, my job's super social, so I'll be out, so I'll be out quite a lot of nights. And I'm like, yeah, that's not really going to fly. Well, things have been pretty bad for a while. We're supposed to be moving to New York together. But things were kind of like obviously, obviously bad. And New York had always been my complete dream. And I was so removed from wanting... I just did not want to go. I did not want to go at all. He went out before me. And then I went out. We were staying at a friend's house. We didn't see that much of each other. I mean, I, I was really, like, I was so, so distant by this point. The relationship was a lot more argumentative towards the end because I was building strength up by going to see a therapist and standing up for myself and less water for ducks back and being like, no. So towards the end was, you know, quite fiery. It's an emotional roller coaster when you're fighting and it, it really does kill you, but I felt like... With every step, I could see a light at the end of the tunnel. And I could see, I got to the point where, you know, it was like a whole transition. I can't leave, I won't leave, I need to figure out to make this better. To being like, you know, eventually getting to the place, being like, I know that I will leave. I just have to figure out how and when. I ran out for dinner one night. I can't even remember what we started arguing about. I've got absolutely no idea. Then we got a cab back, and I think by this point I was feeling quite brave. Like that six months of therapy helped me in terms of having finding my own strength. And I was just like, I told him that I thought he was an emotional bully, and like he dragged me down big time. And like I, you know, kind of told him some home truths that I felt that he obviously didn't really like, that hit him quite hard. And then we were on the, the pavement in New York, and just like this isn't working and it was literally like that it was really sad we were both crying couldn't even hug each other because just couldn't then he got in a cab and went to stay with another friend I went in back into our friend's house and booked a flight to leave the next day and um yeah. and then you know just started mediation and kind of had some nice conversations after mediation and I've seen him at a wedding since Bumped into him once in London on the street, once in New York on the street with his girlfriend. And, yeah, it's bizarre, you just lose your best friend, and that's what's really sad, but I have to say, I'm so much happier. And that's horrible. And I'd hate for him to hear that and feel bad. But I was just so repressed by that point. I feel like I've kind of got a bit more on peace. So, it all happens for a reason, but it's finding the strength to be able to leave and feel like you might one day feel better. Uh, yeah, I think it's the bravest thing I've ever done. Which is ridiculous, but I mean, you know, as you say, you get totally trapped in these things and, you know, you can't live the rest of your life. Like, I was 32. Imagine doing another 40 years of that. That would have been a mess. I'm quite proud of myself that I did it. But I'm also incredibly lucky because I have incredible friends. I could not have done any of this without. I think they're getting a bit bored of my choice in men. But...
I felt like in many ways I'd mourned the relationship before it happened and I was trying to build up speed and courage to jump off. But those three, four months straight afterwards, I actually really enjoyed. <laughs> I felt really free. But I had like so much peace. It was like, I felt really, really good. You know, so I'm sure I was still upset. Well, I know I was still upset and I know it was still painful and I know that I was really anxious. But I think it was relative because comparatively to before we broke up, it was just a nicer place. I started, I got a new job. I started working at an advertising agency. It's the best thing I've done. I was working at a really young, really vibrant agency with lots of really intelligent people. And that's where I think I kind of really found my place again. I feel like I had my own identity. I'd been working with or for Tommy for so many years and I totally lost my identity. Whereas, you know, I went somewhere else and they all thought I was very good at my job and they really liked me as a person and I kind of felt like, okay, you know, I, I can, I've got this. I actually am, you know, I remember having a feeling, I remember going to something and being like, well, I'm actually quite good at this. And it was just such a nice feeling because after so many years of being told you, you're average with the odd compliment of, you know, sprinkled in, I don't know, for whatever, for whatever reason. I think that's when I kind of really found myself and found my confidence again, really. I think with any breakup, you you become a lot more aware of yourself. You introspect. You're starting your life again, which is daunting and exciting. And and how do you navigate that is always the question. You're missing this person that was your rock and your sounding board for so many years, and now you're totally alone. It's different when you're 23. You're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants. I'm now 34, and... With everybody you meet, I put so much pressure being like, oh, they're not they're quite this, they're not quite... I feel like I've become incredibly picky, which is ridiculous, because the pool's gotten a hell of a lot smaller from which to choose from. So, I don't know, I'm really aware that it's a big decision. I don't want to be that person that keeps on getting divorced either. So, I will follow my gut. I really, really want to be able to give everything to, to another relationship. So, I hope that if and when I meet the right person, I will be able to do that. It seems everybody around me has got big opinions on what I should and should not be doing and who I should and should not be with. Um, you know, I know they're right, but... But what is it? Where is this person? Who are they? And how is it... Like, my problem right now is I can't imagine being in a relationship that's normal. Sometimes you feel strong and you're like, yeah, I can totally do this, I'll meet somebody, it'll be fine, and then obviously... Your friends are like, of course you'll meet somebody. Nobody knows. I mean, then other days, yeah, I don't know, you go on a date that's really boring and you realise that, I don't know, that person's not very funny. I don't, there's, then you kind of, you could bang your head against the brick wall for a while. And I think the best way to, to do it probably is to, to just try and be as optimistic as you can. I mean, Finding somebody aside, like I, if I didn't have a family, that would upset me. But, you know, there's other things to be optimistic about. I have great friends, I have a great life, I have a really exciting job. Um, I have a great family. So, you know, you can't complain too much when all the other ducks are in a row. We'll see. <laughs>
Kirsty's relationship with Tommy ended two years ago, and in between she met a few guys. In the last few sentences of her interview, remember she says that her friends told her she would meet someone that all she could do was try and stay optimistic about things. Well, I think she had all the reasons to be optimistic because she'd managed to get herself out of a situation she felt was very toxic. And you can build something from this strength. Yes, you get out of the relationship broken, but aware that you got yourself out of it for the right reasons. Right, no need to hide it for longer. I recorded this interview in March 2016 and two weeks later, Kirsty met a guy, Oli. It's going so well between the two of them that she introduced him to her friends and me. I like him very much. It's going so well between the two of them that they bought a house together two months later. And it's going so well between the two of them that they got engaged three weeks ago. Thanks for listening to The Breaking Point Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Breaking Point Podcast page. And you can also visit our website, thebreakingpointpodcast.com.